This week, we take a look at a brand new 12-episode audio drama called Solar, starring Stephanie Beatriz, Tony Award winner Alan Cumming, and Academy Award winner Helen Hunt and Jonathan Banks. And to do this, we're joined by the writer and creator, Chris Porter, as well as the director, Jenny Curtis. If you've listened to Solar, we'd love to know what you think. You can let us know at Space and Things 1 on Twitter and at Space and Things Podcast on Instagram and Facebook or via the contact form on our website. But right now, enjoy episode 90 of the Space and Things Podcast. Space and Things with Dave Giles and Emily Carney. I'm Emily Carney. And I'm Dave Giles and welcome to episode 90 of the Space and Things podcast. 90, 90. That, that's come around so quick. So it did. Quick. It really does not seem like it's been that long, but it really has. It's almost been uh, two years now, which is to me insane. It, it feels like we're just getting started. Absolutely, right? So um, there was a lunar eclipse, Emily, and I believe you went out and watched it the other night, right? It was We didn't see it from here, or if we did, it was cloudy. I definitely couldn't see it. Yeah, well, I did see it from here, and I, I personally, I know uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson went on Twitter and was like, it's not that big of a deal. I'm like, whatever. I, I personally thought it was incredible. I went in my front yard and watched it, and the moon kind of, it didn't turn bright red, but it turned a kind of a dark reddish color, which was very eerie because... It was very bright, like the moon was, uh, I want to say, almost full, because I went out and took a walk, and I was like, man, it's really like shining on everything. And then everything was just dark, and I'm like, this is really creepy. <laughs> it's like a yeah. horror, it's like a horror film, like, some, you know, something started creeping or something, I don't know. <laughs> I watch a lot of horror films, so uh, yeah, it was a little creepy, but I, I, it was really beautiful in an odd way, and I, I really enjoyed it. And what was kind of cool, too, is uh, I live in an area of florida you hear about the term florida man right you know who's always doing stupid stuff i live in a very florida man area of florida so uh i was not expecting this because normally you'd never see this but uh several people came outside to watch it nice which i thought was kind of stunning because i was like i was not expecting anybody i feel bad because i'm like man maybe i kind of devalue people you know but I, I wasn't expecting people to get that excited over it. And and a lot of people were outside and were like, whoa, look at that. I mean, it was really kind of neat. It was wonderful to watch. I have a lunar eclipse story. Uh, the first lunar eclipse that took place, which I could have viewed in our country, I was, what, eight or nine. And I was really excited about it. And I said to my parents, I want to I get up in the middle of the night to watch the lunar eclipse. So we set alarms and the alarms went off. But they couldn't wake me up. I just wouldn't oh, wake up. No. Oh no! Uh, and so mum and dad went outside and watched it. And in the morning, I woke up and I was like, "You didn't wake me!" And they were oh, like, we no. tried so hard, and they were telling me how beautiful it was, and I was fuming. Uh, but yeah, I just, it just didn't wake up. I was gutted, absolutely gutted. Yeah, I was going to try to watch the entire thing. I, I stayed outside for maybe 30 minutes. I was going to try to watch the whole thing, but I had to work in the morning and I was just like, I was falling asleep, you know, like, so I was like, maybe I should head back inside. I don't want to fall asleep out here and have Steve think something happened to me. Like I got eaten by an alligator or something. Uh, it made me think too about, we've never had somebody on the lunar surface look back while that was happening. 
Oh my god, I've not even thought about that. Because I was like, imagine being on the moon and you would see the earth surrounded by the sun, right? Can you imagine the first person who's going to see that someday? They're going to get a picture. I can't wait for that image. The Pulitzer is going to be like instant. Like they're just going to be like, here you go. Take it. We'll just email it it overnight. (laughs) Like seriously, I mean that because I was thinking about that for some reason. No one knows what that looks like. Yeah, nobody's ever seen that. And I'm like thinking, you know, I've had friends who've gone. As one does. As as one does. I've had friends who've been up there. You know, what if like Fredo or Al Warden had like stood on the moon or or looked back and had seen like you know the Earth being eclipsed or something like that? Like, wouldn't that be nuts? And then I'm like, somebody's got to see that someday. So I don't know. No, that's such a good point. I can't wait for that moment. That's going to be fantastic. So before we get started, I do want to just bring up last week's show, right? I still think it was one of our best shows. We accidentally broke the news. We We were the first people to to announce what had happened. We followed the embargo rules, but for some reason we were the first people to do it. But it didn't capture the attention of people as much as I hoped it would. There was a big black hole story. uh, Yes! We will talk about more later, but that definitely got more traction. Interestingly, I don't know if it's a PR thing, right? Because in our podcast inbox, I had four different universities send me press releases about the black hole as that story's broke. That's odd. It was almost like there was more budget behind that release because it's a great story. Don't get me wrong; it's not that it's the great, not a great story, but it's not like it's the first time a black hole's been taken, had a photo taken of it. It's the first one of our galaxy, but it's not the first black hole. Whereas what we talked about was the very first time something had happened. Yeah, the first that I know of, at least, or the first that I've heard of in my life. I mean. Yeah, so I don't want to understand. It made the front page of the Times, by the way, in the UK, which was interesting, and the black hole didn't. So some people got it, some people didn't. The Guardian or the Independent, I can't remember which paper it was in the UK, but one of them, was the, the journalism was awful about it. They kind of played it down so much. Well, the plants weren't very successful. <sighs> there, were, there were plants anyway. That To me, that was the point, is that, yeah. well, they grew... They could have just not grown. I, I honestly, I'm not a scientist at the, at the in the least, but I did a, I did a little bit of biology in, in, in college. You know, I did a few experiments here and there. And honestly, I, knowing the very little that I know about, you know, what it takes to grow plants in any kind of soil, um, I would have not expected anything to grow at all. Yeah. Well, so we had someone also commenting on our, on our post on our Facebook page who hadn't listened to the interview just saying well I heard these things weren't very impressive it's like well just listen to the interview because yeah they weren't even expecting every seed to germinate and they did they were doing this in such a small amount of a lunar regolith and then they were leaving them to see what happened it wasn't like they were trying to cultivate them and make them be successful they just needed to see what happened and every single one grew for at least six days and then they started declining which we didn't know what would happen so why are you moaning? Like, I just don't... Yeah. Like, uh, what? Like, it's exciting. It, it, it outperformed what they thought would happen. I don't. I just don't get the mindset of some people. Anyway, I, I just want to put that out there because I just think some people saw a headline and went, oh, it's only a plant, it's only a little thing. And it's like, God, it's more than that. Anyway, let's move on. I agree. Let's, let's get cracking with this week's show. Uh, <laughs> We recently became aware of a brand new podcast, which is a 12-part audio drama set in space. It's called Solar and has some pretty big names in the cast, like Stephanie Beatrice of Brooklyn Nine-Nine fame and Encanto as well, uh, and Tony Award winner Alan Cumming and Academy Award winner and one of my favourite actresses, Helen Hunt. 
pretty damn cool. And last week, we managed to talk to the show's creator, Chris Porter, and director, Jenny Curtis, to find out more about it. Roll the tape. Okay, we're off to a good start. Play it cool. Welcome, Jenny and Chris. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, Let's start with Chris. Tell us about Solar, this new space drama podcast. What was your inspiration for the project? And have you always been one of us? You know, a space nerd. I definitely have enjoyed science fiction over the years. My father was a huge Star Trek fan, so that didn't quite transfer to me, but that means I did get exposed pretty early to the whole Trekkie world of things. When I was starting to conceive of this particular project, I wanted to do a science fiction, and I started thinking about all of the uh, stories about space missions going to the edge of the universe, all of the people going to Alpha Centauri looking for other homeworlds and things. And I just thought, wouldn't it be cool if there was a mission sending people straight into the center of our solar system so that it would be these fragile human beings up against this huge source of power and just unfathomable light. And just like that is what struck me about it. So from that came this whole idea of this podcast where there was a gigantic solar flare that overpowered the ship, blew out the middle of it, and then went directly on to Earth. So not only are the astronauts trapped on opposite sides of the spacecraft, but they're trying to reach Earth and they don't know if there is an Earth there to reach. And <laughs> so it's part survival story, part you know examination of the human condition while they're stuck in this little tiny spacecraft. I, and also just part cry of hope of saying, hey, I'm here. Is there anyone there that can help me? I love that. Sounds amazing. Okay, Jenny, how did you get involved with this project and what excited you about it? And what did you see as being, you know, key challenges? Um, I'm just starting to get into this podcast now. And it's one of those things. It's just it's just one cliffhanger after another. Tell us a little bit about all that. (laughs) Yeah. um, So Chris and I have actually known each other uh, long before we started working at Kurt Co. Media. And Kurt Co. is the company that created Solar. But we actually work together in immersive theater. So uh, we've done a lot of storytelling in other mediums. And so the genesis of this project, really, Chris came to Kurt Coe and said, I'd like to do this. And we kind of started developing it from there and spent two and a half years making, uh, developing, writing, producing this show. How I came into it is sort of at the beginning. And and I was a sounding board for Chris as he wrote this incredible story. And the types of stories that Chris writes are so rich with deep emotional turmoil and resonant with hope at the same time. And this is uh, no exception. And so telling this story in the medium we're telling it was incredibly exciting to me because this audio realm of, of igniting people's imaginations and getting to have people think for themselves while they are immersing themselves in the story was really, really exciting to me and an entirely new challenge. And as crazy artists, we like challenging ourselves. Uh, And that that being said, the challenges were, um, uh, there were plenty of them. (laughs) I, I would say the fun ones, the creative ones were starting from the beginning of like, we're in an audio world, right? An audio space. And we're out in outer space. And, you know, we all know we can't hear things in space, but we made the executive decision that you're going to hear things on our spacewalk because, well, it's an audio story. Kind of a boring audio story. (laughs) (laughs) It would be a really boring story if you couldn't hear anything. So challenges like that of how do we walk the line of being a grounded story, but also being an exciting story for a listener were really fun to 
tread. And the other challenges, like there's a pandemic ahead of us and how do we create a show when it's really hard to get a hold of people and it's really unsafe to be in the same space? And how are we going to make this all happen on budget? Which, you know, what is a budget? That doesn't matter. Uh, (laughs) And how do we communicate our vision to the people who are coming in and helping make us make it happen? It was all really, really difficult and really, really exciting at the same time. Every step had its own new set of challenges where it's like, hey, we're writing a story about isolation pandemic. uh Oh, now I have to reevaluate everything I was saying about isolation. Uh, And then it's like, now we have to cast the thing. But how do we get people in safely? And then all of a sudden it's like, well, now I'm working with the sound designer saying, what does zero gravity sound like every time? a door opens, there's also something that smacks you in the face, but it was worth it, worth it in the end, because every time we would open that new door, it was like, oh my gosh, what's the next door? It's quite a cast of actors you've got involved in this project. Incredible cast list. What was that recording process like in the end? I'm a bit of a geek about these kind of things. Was everyone in the room together? I'm guessing not by what you've just said. Was it done like a radio play or was it done one by one more like an animation movie? Or did you do things like Zoom calls to try and help the actors interact with each other? We did record everyone individually. So it was one-on-one the entire way through. I come from a background of performance. So for me, setting our actors up for success and giving them the most we could give them to create authentic performances was really important. So we would all go into this studio. We recorded at a studio called Shane Salk Productions in North Hollywood. And every single person, save for Alan Cumming, was able to come record in studio, which was incredible. Um, But they would be on the other side of the glass and I would be in, you know, They'd be in their box. I'd be in mine and we'd be on our headphones and I would be performing every single other role in the scene for them. So they would have something to play off of. So it was really fun for me as a as a director, but also as an actor, because I got to go to work and like act every day in every direction, which was really fun. But With the likes um, of Helen Hunt as well. I mean, that's outrageous, isn't it? Oh, my, I can't even begin to tell you how mind blowing it is to like be in. I think it was with Alan too, like Alan, we recorded remotely, but I actually had to stop after the first scene we did and be like, I I just have to say this out loud. I I just acted opposite Alan Cumming and I (laughs) (laughs) need to pinch myself because that's like a dream. It's a dream. And it was really, really exciting. Now I'm just going to geek out now on, on these actors, but it was really exciting to watch the variety of how these actors approach their roles and you know, how, we would have to kind of flex our muscles in different directions in order to make uh, the best experience for them. So people like Jonathan Bangs, who plays Jamal, and he's one of the leads, and we knew him for years. So it was an entirely different vocabulary working with him where we would go in and play in every direction and try this and try that and do it like you're you know, wearing a funny hat and standing on top of a tree. I don't <laughs> know, like something weird. And he was along for the ride in every step of the way. And then we'd work with these people who we had never spoken to before. And there's not necessarily that like, I trust you every step of the way kind of vibe. We had to feel each other out. So it was a lot more of, you know, conversations about really what is this character getting at and and why are they doing this? And, you know, we're doing all of this in a time crunch because you only have a certain amount of sessions with an actor and you only have a certain amount of hours per session so it was a really fun roller coaster of holy crap, I'm so stressed and holy crap, I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> 
I just want to jump in there. Uh, Chris, what was your role in, in that side of things? As a writer, do you get involved with, with the acting or do you just sit back and watch it all happen or wait till you get sent something at the end of the day? Oh, no, I was actually there. I just had to be on Zoom the whole time uh, right. because of the body limits in the inside the studio. So I was there on Zoom watching everything that Jenny was doing and all the actors performing. And after Jenny would get enough takes that she felt confident, she would turn to me and I would either say, yeah, I'm good to go. Or I would be like, actually, the word pilot is pretty important. Can you do another take where you kind of stress that particular word? So that we ended up with enough takes that all of us felt satisfied. Jenny would then go and do a first pass of the dialogue edits is what they're called, where it's like none of the sound, none of the mm-hmm. loops, the voices haven't been treated. It's just here's the script in a rough copy. I would take that. I might manipulate it a little bit. But when it was good, that's at the point when we would send it to the sound designer so that he would start doing his thing. So I was definitely involved as part of it. It was just definitely the acting direction. Jenny is the, is the expert in that field. My, my experience is much more in post and writing. So that's why I'm like, mm-hmm. absolutely. Jenny's in the studio. We were both very much every step of the way. Like, here are my thoughts. What do you think? Here are my thoughts. What do you think? It's, it's very much a collaboration rather than let's go work on our separate sides and then come back to each other when we think we know what we're doing. It, that's right. It, it helps to have a partner who you can text at any point to say, here are my thoughts. It's 2 a.m. I'm so sorry, but I had this idea and I can't stop editing yep. or whatever. That happened more than yeah. once. <laughs> <laughs> I know that feeling. <laughs> so since Dave got back from uh, Abbey Road Studios in January, he has not shut up about Dolby Atmos and the implication for sound design in the future. Now, you've, uh, you guys have used this for this podcast uh, what has brought that? What has that brought to the experience? And and what kind of equipment do people need at home to be able to hear that? So what you need to be able to hear it at this point in time is basically a surround sound setup, like what you would get in a movie theater, but you can buy smaller versions to actually put into your home. As far as what that meant for us mixing it, is that our sound designer C.J. Drew Miller, he would very much actually block the scenes and say this person comes in here and this person is over here and this person is here. So that way, when you're listening to it, it is around you. You hear the footsteps, you hear the walls reverb, you know, when they shout in one direction, you can hear the echo coming from the other side. Cause we actually did have discussions of like, what are the walls made of so that we would know how much <laughs> wow. bounciness was coming from the voices. When that finally gets rendered, it does get put down into a binaural sense. He used a combination of uh, Deer VR and Dolby Atmos to do all the placement. And then it would get rendered down into just a binaural stereo setup. So you don't need a surround sound to listen to solar, (laughs) but it future proofs it. So that as we've seen in the world of podcasts, as they're moving in the direction of having Atmos, we already have a show now that's like ready to go into that field. The actual use of the program of Dolby Atmos, we did use to create an experience for your headphones. So even now, if you listen on any of the podcast platforms, you can hear the binaural mix of Ali, like uh, the character, the AI character, uh, you know, she's got different speakers on the ship, right? So sometimes she's talking directly to one of the crew members and you can hear her like right here above your head. And sometimes she is giving a temperature reading. So simultaneously, you're hearing her like way off far to the left and she's kind of like in another room. So it was really useful using Dolby Atmos to create a world in which the listener can feel like they're inside of the ship. It's not Mm -hmm. just hearing a story. It's literally being inside the story with us. So it's a really cool technology. 
it's very cool technology. While while you do not need surround sound to listen to our show, we do recommend headphones because it does. There's a lot of very faint details that you can only hear when the speakers are up against your eardrums. That's awesome. Wow. Uh, my eyes got huge because I was like, uh, yeah, that's probably the closest I'll ever be uh, on a spaceship. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you never know. Space tourism is real. <laughs> yeah, you have a you have a point, but still, that that's pretty cool is you kind of get to hear it from the perspective of, you know, a regular person who might be on an actual spacecraft. That's that's yeah. really cool. It puts you in the mm-hmm. It puts you in the pilot seat, so to speak. Uh, yeah, my, my understanding with the Atmos stuff, I don't know if this is how it works with the podcast platforms, but what they've done with music is that the Apple Air Buds, AirPods, they mm-hmm. have an Atmos codex in them. So you can you actually get, if you've got a set of them, it will kind of repri- replicate the, the surround sound, even though you've only got two speakers, which is absolutely crazy, the technology. Anyway, with the visuals of spaceflight being such a huge part of the experience, uh, for both those who take part in it and the likes of us who follow it, why did you go down the audio-only route for this? Do you think that space lends itself to audio-only concepts, or would you like to see this drama on the big screen one day too? I mean, we'll never say no if someone wants to get <laughs> that big screen. There, there's so many ways as as creatives, there's so many ways to tell a story. And I think it was exciting for us, both because Chris has such a strong background in music and sound design and all of that. It's really exciting to find different ways to tell a story and have people experience things. That being said, this story is ever expanding. So, of course, we would love to see it one day whether that be on stage or on screen or in a comic book or in, mm. a, in anything. I think the a really exciting story that has different facets of threads you can follow should keep expanding and should go into other mediums. But uh, I think the audio one for me, why this is exciting is, is the imagination because yes, the visuals are so strong, but to me, the visuals are so strong for everybody who's listening because of the way the performances are done and the mm-hmm. sound design is done and the music is done. And suddenly like you're envisioning something really, really cool. And so it's not a passive listen. It's a really active listen, which to me is very exciting. My my realms of expertise are definitely in sound design and music and writing, as Jenny mentioned. But I I'm not necessarily the best visual person like i've been asked not to paint sets in high school and college because i'm not good at painting things i can guarantee you that if i just make it sound as cool as i have it in my brain you will think of something cooler than i could possibly try to put together myself in the visual realm and that's one of the cool things about audio drama is that we're essentially inviting the audience member to be that cinematographer to picture the movie up on the big screen and it'll be different and unique for every single person and that's wonderful and that's really exciting and that's just a unique facet that only audio dramas can do but like jenny said our world is expanding i would love to see the world <laughs> in reality in some form but uh for now it's very much at home in the audio world and do we think there's going to be a sequel to this is that the plan are you are you writing that at the moment there are definitely more stories that we hope to be able to tell in the solar universe. Uh, and that's about all I can say at the moment. It's a horrible <laughs> tease. Damn it. Yeah, now we have to wait. <laughs> now we got to wait. All right. But that's good, though. I like anticipation. But at the same time, I'm like, uh, oh, gosh. What are they going to blow up next? Yeah. <laughs> 
I would just love to know as people who are more science bound, what your impressions of what we've done are. I'm one of those people. I suspend my uh, disbelief and I just try to enjoy what I'm listening to for what it is. Like when I saw, uh, God, what movie was it? Gravity a few years back. Everybody was like, oh, that couldn't really happen. And I'm like, guys, I'm just enjoying the movie. Like, I don't, I'm yeah. not trying to look at it from the perspective of, oh, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. Yeah. That's not going to work. Yeah. I like the immersive, like the sound design um, aspect of it because I love that kind of stuff. Like Me too. You know, it gives you the feeling like you're actually in a, in a movie theater or something like that. You're not just, you know, chilling at home. Yeah. Emily and I have had many a conversation on this podcast about uh, the idea that art doesn't have to be exactly real when it comes to space flight. It doesn't have to. I mean, it'd be it'd be pretty dull if it did. But anything <laughs> that can be used to inspire someone to want to find out how something would work or might want to go into engineering or science because they've been inspired by a bit of fiction, that's incredible. That's, yeah. and, and that's what any bit of fiction set in space has the potential to do. Uh, so any storytelling mm-hmm. done within that realm, if it's good storytelling, I'm on board. I, as, as Emily said, forget about the details. Who cares? Um, just tell me a good story. If you're going to set it in space, I'm there. <laughs> and Well, we really tried also. Chris did a fantastic job, I think, of like walking the line of like, what is, I like to say, what is science fiction and what is science fact? Is it believable enough? Yeah, like a thing I kept coming back to, like, is it good? Is it close enough to reality? And what of like real history is in the show and what of real, you know, quantum physics did he discuss in a really accessible way? Because quantum physics would make my head explode. And every time we were talking about them in the show, I'd be like, can you explain this to me again? Let's let's make this a little bit more accessible. If you listen to the first episode, just about like it being real things, uh, he talks about the SpaceX launch that we had in 2020. And that was because I was watching it and I started doing the math in my head and I was like, Oh, he would be alive now. Like he would see this, this would be an important thing for him to experience. And so like, it was stuff like that where it's like, yeah, let's pull in these real world things that seem believable. But at the same time, I tossed in some line that they're testing artificial gravity because I wanted to hear footsteps. And like, that was that creative decision that was made. (laughs) Yeah. And see, I, I don't see anything wrong with that at all. Like I personally, you know, I'm one of those people, I, I like fiction and I like, you know, listening to, you know, sort of drama podcasts. And I like watching movies because it kind of gets you out of reality. Yeah. You know, sometimes I just like a break. You know? <laughs> I think me and Dave have a very similar worldview on that. We absolutely do. And let's not forget some of the biggest TV and film production sci-fi productions that are set in space they don't have gravity on their spaceships do they you know star wars star trek red dwarf i'm throwing that one in the mix they're all really popular they're still inspired just as many people from having gravity and suspending the reality that we know so let's not worry too much about that in this instance i'm a couple of episodes into this podcast and i'm really enjoying it and the thing i'm going to struggle with is finding the time to actually sit down and listen and enjoy it because and what i mean by that is normally i listen to podcasts when i'm driving but this sounds so good i want to sit in a little dark room (laughs) and have my headphones on on my nice speakers and enjoy it for all that it's worth i don't want to be operating heavy machinery you know i think that's uh i think that's 
a compliment in there. Anyway, where can people find out more about what you're up to and what's next for the solar world? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Listen to your podcast first, then come and follow <laughs> us on all of the podcasting platforms. We're on any podcasting platform you use. Uh, you can always find us at solarthepodcast.com or at our social handle is solarthepodcast on pretty much all of the socials. Uh, so come find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, whatever you want. We want to talk to people <laughs> about the show. That's right. <laughs> oh, amazing. So you actively encourage engagement. Love that. Brilliant. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. We we did. Please. We did. I know you're trying to wrap it up. We had a, 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 <laughs> a someone write in a couple of weeks back and be like, I'm picturing the ship this way, but can you verify for me if it's like this? And like, we just gave him a couple sentences of like, this is what we had in our mind. And he was like, oh, that's huge. That's awesome. Thanks so much. And it's, we love that. We yeah. love it. So, yeah. Have you had any art submissions yet? People actually drawing no. stuff out? Oh, we would love that. One no, it's just going to happen. I'm sure it's going to happen. We actually really want to encourage that. Like, we're going to probably put out some kind of like, I don't know, a blast of like, please send in your art. We want to share it. We want to, we want to see your vision of this world because there can be so many different uh, visual images to yeah. people. Yeah. Absolutely. Amazing. Well, I can't wait. I'm, I mean, I'm no artist, but I might have a go at that as well. You might get a little pen- should, again, you should stick see the artwork pencil that I made. sketch. <laughs> yeah. Give us, give us the stick figure. Yeah. Love it. Stick love figure it. aspect of the ship. Yeah. That's, that will be it. what it will be. Anyway, thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> thank you thank both. You. It was really wonderful. We look forward thank to hearing you. more. This is amazing, this thing. Like, I've not listened to all of it, but the soundscape of this show is amazing. It's so good. To, it's so satisfying listening to it on headphones. I don't know if it, about you. I really enjoy hearing the sound of it in my ears, but then I'm an audio guy, so I should do. Yeah. See, I, I, I'm, the, I'm the same way. I'm not, you know, obviously I'm not a musician or an audio person or an audio expert, but I'm one of those people, like, I like to be immersed in stuff. Yeah. I listen to a lot of true crime podcasts and uh, <laughs> yeah, and most of the podcasts I listen to are about people murdering people, you know, just horrible stuff. <laughs> and I'm not into committing crime. I just want to put that out there just so I don't get arrested or anything. <laughs> but um, I like true crime. And sometimes the shows that are so like terrifying are very immersive, you know, where you feel like they just they'll put in sound effects or they'll do something unexpected. And you're like, ah! like you're just like oh my god you know and i love those kinds of experiences because they keep you like engaged they keep you interested you know and stuff like that and solar is very much in the same vein except it's about space which i think is awesome because i think we need something like that to really hook people in and get them interested even though it's you know it's science fiction I think it, you know, science fiction is very inspirational. I think to a lot of people who are who are getting to the getting into the topic. So yeah, absolutely. And and uh, yeah, from the from what I've heard so far, I'm I'm enjoying the story so far. I'm liking to see where it's going. I haven't listened to all of it, so I can't give a full overview of of what I think about it. But I'm enjoying how it started, and I, and I just think they've done this. It's at least been done well, which I think is really important with with something like this. And and the the whole use of the uh, the Dolby Atmos technology, which is incredible. When I was at Abbey Road, I got a, um, 
I got a preview of it from Giles Martin, which was... Uh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's the biggest name drop I'm ever going to do. Uh, he took me into his suite and he played me the version of A Day in the Life that he'd been that they'd just finished for oh Sergeant Peppers. And, and I got to hear it all surrounding me and everything like that. But the technology is amazing. So it scours down. They use this incredible codex technology. Obviously, it's always going to be best if you're in the studio where it's done. But you could say that about stereo mixes as well. But... It scales down to it can go down to one speaker and still make it have that uh, feeling of being a bigger space and things coming from different directions. I'm not really sure how it works, but it's incredible. And the future, again, we're at the start of this technology and where it's going to be in 10, 15 years is quite something. So the fact that they're getting into this with podcasts and you can, especially with a soundscape as big as space. And yes, there's no sound in space, but but as discussed in the thing, there's so, it's such a emotive thing that you can do so much within a spaceship alone with reflections and things like that, that actually this technology could be really interesting for podcasting going forward uh, and audio dramas. Um, I don't know, a radio drama's big thing in America, Emily. They used to be, like back in the, like radio dramas used to be really big back in, I would say, oh God, uh, probably the 19, maybe the 19, you know, 20s to the 1950s or something. And then we got television in the United States and color TV more like probably in the 60s and stuff. And they kind of faded out. But at one point they used to be really, really huge. And I think there's um, I think there's actually a radio drama that I found on YouTube. I was just chilling one day and it's from the 70s and it's about the first woman on Skylab. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. It's like, a, I think yeah. it's a... I was just chilling and it just came up. <laughs> yeah, of course, Emily. It was, I was you, doing a... You I created was, it, didn't you? You created <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> I don't know if it's still up on there. I, I think I was looking for something or very... Or was this a dream? Or was this it just was a, not dream, a dream, Emily? It was not a dream. I swear to God. No, I was looking for something actually very specific on YouTube. There was actually like this uh, British Skylab documentary from the 70s. And it had some really... Um, Oh God! It had interviews. Okay, it had an interview with Ed Gibson, and he looked really—he looked really fine, you know. So that's what I was looking for. Sorry, Ed, if you're listening, I'm sorry. You're you were you're you're a cutie, but anyway. So I'm looking for this damn interview, and I and I stumbled upon this radio drama with the first woman on Skylab, and but I I I hate to say it though, like radio dramas in the United States, I don't really know what they were like in the uk it it was kind of cheesy you know lots of kind of silly sound effects organ playing you know just yeah. and it had a lot of celebrities on it or or b-list celebrities so yeah. stuff like that but we did have that in the united states but it sort of faded out in popularity because of you know tv and and nowadays you know we have podcasts which is kind of kind of something similar but way more obviously way more accessible and more popular uh I love radio, but a lot of people just don't listen to it, which sucks, you know, because my husband works. He's a radio guy, you know, so. Yeah, I mean, I think podcasting is is, is obviously the new radio, right? Which is yeah. just the natural development of it. I, this is the first one of these audio dramas, fictional podcasts I've even listened to, even any of it. And I can see the merit in it. I can see, I mean, I listen to audio books, so why would I not listen to something like this? It's the yeah. same thing, but something specifically created with this format is, is really interesting. So yeah, I, I hope that many more of these kind of things get done and, and why not in space? Because yeah. it's amazing, right? 
I'm hoping we get a sequel too, or like a continuation or something like that. Yeah, or just more in more in that world, as Chris was saying, like other stories within set within the same world. That'd be great. So as always, full interview is up on our Patreon page for you to watch. Uh, it was really great having the two of them two of them with us that's for sure everything about them will also be in the show notes social media and all that kind of stuff boy that's a big mountain when you're down here looking up isn't it my oh my that's as big a mountain as i ever looked up and so on to this week's news. Since last week's recording, we've had three launches, one in California, one in Florida, and one in China, which I can find very little information about other than it's a company called iSpace, and unfortunately it failed, although I don't know how it failed, or what. I'm not sure quite what happened. But check the show notes for the f- details I can find on all three of those launches. Hopefully I'll find some more by the time I can put this out. We've got a few launches coming up this week as well, including the next Blue Origin suborbital crude flight and an Atlas V rocket carrying Boeing's Starliner space capsule, which is hopefully the last uncrewed test of that vehicle before it can take a crew to the International Space Station. As we've mentioned earlier, the news which seemed to grab the most of the attention last week was the first photo of the Milky Way's black hole Sagittarius A star. The news conference event even had a live performance from Arcade Fire, uh, who mentioned the black hole and their new album. It's a good album. If only someone had a song about plants growing in lunar regolith. Uh, <laughs> get to work on that, Dave. Oh, okay. <laughs> Anyway, um, this photo is a big deal. It was captured by the vaguely terrifying sounding Event Horizon (laughs) Telescope. And um, it is the second black hole captured by the telescope. The first being the black hole in the center of the Messier 87 or M87 galaxy, which was taken in 2019. Uh, Many of you probably remember when that photo came out. Uh, however, that news. yeah, that was huge. Uh, however, that black hole was a lot bigger than uh, Sagittarius A star. Uh, these are numbers which are hard to get your head around. But the M87 black hole had a dynamic environment of 6.5 billion solar masses or 6.5 billion of our suns. That is insane. Whereas uh, Sagittarius A, uh, A star is just 4.3 million, not billion, million suns. That's considerably smaller and therefore a lot harder to capture. It's it's hard to believe that's a lot smaller as well, but when you're working with numbers like that, it really is. Black holes are the densest objects in our universe, and their gravity is so strong uh, that not even light can escape, and the point where the light disappears within them is called the event horizon, hence the name of the telescope. Now, there's a lot more complex science involved in this discovery, and if you're interested Uh, Dave will put an article within the show notes that you may enjoy reading. Yeah, it's quite deep. The one one thing that jumped out at me was apparently this was the biggest test of Einstein's theory of relativity, which I couldn't explain to you anyway, but I just know of it. Uh, And and it was proved correct once again. So that's pretty cool. Uh, Good job, Albert. Anyway, meanwhile on Mars, the Chinese Zurong rover is about to start hibernating through the Martian winter. But it turns out it's already made some pretty startling discoveries. It was previously thought that Mars was a wet planet around 3 billion years ago, but the rover's findings seem to suggest that there was water activity just 700 million years ago. It's the second time we've had to compare billions and millions today, and it's really hard to get your head around how huge those numbers are. But needless to say, 
this seems like quite significant news and creates a lot more questions about the planet. So these findings were from just the first 90 Martian days that that rover was on the planet, but it's now been there for 350 days, so loads more to uncover. Also on Mars, Ingenuity, their little helicopter, aced its 27th flight on April 23rd as part of a scouting mission for the Perseverance rover and found an angled ridge, which is unusual for that part of the planet. And on May the 4th, a new photo from the Curiosity rover seemed to show a doorway-like formation in the rocks, which of course broke the internet for a little bit, um, which I did want to talk about for a bit, but literally just before we, we came on to start recording, a bit of news broke. So... First of all, I was going to mention this bit. Last week, the InSight rover detected a magnitude 5 quake on the surface of Mars, which is the largest Mars quake detected by the the InSight rover so far. But then tonight, the social media account for the rover posted a message which, as they always do, was in the perspective of the rover as if it was a person. So it gets a bit emotional. It says, As my power levels diminish due to dust on my solar panels, My team has set my retirement plans in motion. Plans call for a gradual shutdown of instruments, including resting my arm in a retirement pose. Oh, the picture. Okay. The picture actually made me tear up because it's like he's saluting. Yeah. Like, goodbye. And I was like, oh, God. Yeah, it's weird. It's it's very um, unusual how we kind of form these almost human like attachments to robots on that but they're they're the only things representing humanity on those on those planets and as we've as we pointed out before they do have oddly lifelike features don't they yeah do you remember the movie i think it was called batteries not included yes i remember it they're kind of like that in my mind they're these robots which have got these little personalities and uh and nasa really play into that with their social media posts which i love yeah, it makes me sad. I remember the day. I remember the day. I remember the day Insight landed on Mars. And it's always exciting when you get the first, you know, the first signal and the first picture back because it's always like, okay, it actually worked because JPL uh, makes it look easy, kind of in the way that Olympic athletes make what they do look easy. Oh, I can I can jump eight meters, no no issue, Emily. I assure you, I can do un- uneven bars <laughs> and, and balance beam just like Simone Biles. Like. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's taken years and years and decades to develop this kind of, you know, technology to to get something to land, just to even land successfully on Mars and not crash on the planet. So, you know, whenever you see stuff like that, it, you do kind of, at least I do, I, I form kind of an emotional attachment to it mm. because I'm like, that is, you know, a piece of technology we've, you know, we superbly engineered to put on the planet and it, and it did its job beautifully. Yeah. Absolutely. So for those who don't know, the InSight mission seeks to uncover how a rocky body forms and evolve to become a planet by investigating the interior structure and composition of Mars. The mission also aimed to determine the rate of Martian tectonic activity and meteorite impacts. It launched in May 2018 on an Atlas V rocket and landed on Mars on 26th of November of the same year. The original plan was for the rover to be in operation for 709 Martian days, but it's managed over 1,200 so far so this isn't a premature ending for the rover it's expected that the last contact will be in december of this year so we'll try and get someone from the team to come and talk to us all about what it has achieved back on earth the united states federal aviation authority have approved sierra nevada's uh dream i think it's sierra spaces now dream chaser space plane to land at huntsville international airport which is in huntsville alabama 
the company had a con- has a contract to fly six cargo missions to the ISS and hopes that it can make the first of these next year. They've also not ruled out making a crewed version of their plane, which would be really awesome. Uh, Amazing, if, yeah. Yeah, that would be so cool. If you've never seen the images of this thing, then you definitely need to check them out. It's like something out of our school textbooks when they spoke about the future of space flight. Yeah, when I see it, I'm always like, yes, that was in that was in the book. That was in the book. That's the one I wanted to fly on. Yeah, it reminds me kind of of, of uh, not exactly. It sort of reminds me of what the um, Europe space shuttle was supposed to be in the 80s. Airmay? Airmay? Yes. Yeah, you probably remember that. A lot, a lot of Americans do not. But uh, I vaguely remember it because as a kid, it was in my Jane's book. And it was like, yeah, in, in a few years, Europe is going to have their own space shuttle. And it was supposed to be launched on the Ariane 5 uh, rocket, but it kind of reminds me of Air Maze or what what it was supposed to be. And unfortunately, that never got off the ground. And, and I'm hoping we see a crude dream chaser that, that I would I would love to fly that. That looks so cool. Me too. Absolutely. It's kind of like the 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 natural successor to the shuttle as well, which, you know, is our, it's our generation's spaceship, right? So... We, we, you and I, if we had a choice to go to space in any spaceship that's ever gone to space, I think we would choose the space shuttle, right? Yeah, because it, it, it's what we're used to seeing, you know? I mean, yeah, it, you have sort of a sentimental attachment to it, absolutely. All right, so it appears that it's been a big week for UK space news. So rocket startup company Astra have announced plans to start UK launches in 2023 from the Saxavord spaceport in the Shetland Isles, which, as we spoke about before, is quite a way north off the coast of Scotland, but it's still technically the UK, so we're going to claim it. The spaceport is currently being built and has also got Lockheed Martin committed to launch from that location as well. Meanwhile, there's another spaceport in Scotland called Space Hub Sutherland, and a company called Orbex have announced that they're going to launch the first rocket from UK soil in just a few months' time from that site. So their reusable rocket uses biopropane fuel, uh, which Orbex say will cut the carbon footprint of each launch by 90% compared to similar rockets that rely on fossil fuels. It's a two-stage rocket with seven 3D-printed engines that can carry small satellites of up to 440 pounds or 200 kilograms, if you want to do the conversion, um, to an altitude of about 780 miles, which is a way up. Uh, and they claim that they can do all of this with uh, and with leaving zero debris on Earth or in orbit. So that all sounds pretty wonderful to me. We shall, of course, wait and see. Also, 50 British technology companies have joined a UK space energy initiative, which plans to make a space-based solar power plant, which will beam back energy from space. And they think they'll have a demo in orbit by 2035. So... That could be a real game changer. Anyway, lots to unpack in all of that. But as we've already said, there'll be more details in the show notes. Meanwhile, Colombia has become the 19th country to sign the Artemis Accords following quickly after Bahrain and Singapore also signed recently. The Accords outlined peaceful and responsible exploration of the moon and beyond and were originally unveiled in 2020 with just eight nations. Maybe the trailer for the new season of For All Mankind will prompt other nations to want to join the Accords. Yeah, that's right. I managed to get my favorite TV show into a serious news story. Watch the trailer for season three. It's great. And that's our, and finally, story covered two. I'm getting too good at this, Dave. You already are. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Amazing. Awesome. Amazing. So I think that's it for this week. We'll be back with more space and things next week. A big thank you to those who continue to support the show. It turns out we actually have considerably more ratings on Apple Apple Podcasts than I thought. Twice as many, in fact, because I only see the UK ones. And it turns out there's just as many in America as well, which is amazing. So thanks oh, wow. to all of, us, all of us who have been giving us ratings. We're only 30 away from having 100 global five-star ratings, which I was hoping to get by a 100th show. And we've also got 25 on Spotify too. So maybe we could get Spotify to 100 as well, but that's probably a bigger ask. Uh, but anyway, we've had some lovely written reviews too. And your usernames are just wonderful. We've had one from someone called Poos. <laughs> Who called us a phenomenal duo. <laughs> you make me blush, Poos. <laughs> yes, thank you for admiring number one and number two on this show. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, APT Twitterer also said they like how we explore content that is not necessary. Oh, no, I've read that wrong. Sorry. <laughs> content that is not necessarily mainstream. Forgot a keyword there. Uh, yes, we do like to go off-piste, and I hope that this week's interview introduces some people to something new as well. Please keep your reviews and comments coming in, but also hit that share button if you don't mind. Yes, please. And a massive thank you to our amazing Patreon subscribers. Uh, we're very lucky to have so many of you and hope that more people will want to join I know Dave posted some pretty cool photos he took at the Aim Higher Gala this week, and we've got some other exclusives coming up too. Anyway, don't forget, in space, no one can hear you mean. Space and Things has been brought to you by And Things Productions. <laughs> <laughs>